Life Audio. Hey, welcome back to the Gospel Rant. I'm Dr. Bill Sinyard. We are on a eight-part trek through First Thessalonians. I thought it was going to be a four-part, but it turned out to be twice that. Eh, you know, pastors, <laughs> my bad. I hope it has been informative and interesting. Hopefully, it's it's caused you to think, uh, to begin dialoguing, asking questions, pushing back. I mean, it's okay in Gospel Rant for you to disagree with me. I mean, I'm throwing stuff out there. It's like throwing spaghetti on the wall and seeing what sticks, but but I'm doing good exegesis. This is how I would begin to develop my sermons, my books, my my workbooks. So it's, it's really getting dialogue. I mean, you know, if I go through this again, a uh, different level, I, I would change some things. That's the whole point of, of moving forward. But the idea is we're trying to get into Paul's head uh, accurately, right? Using scripture, uh, using the context, using archaeology as well. But we're trying to get into his head and Silas's head and Timothy's head and Luke's head as we went through Acts. Um, the reason we're doing this, me personally, is dealer's choice is, you know, I'm headed to Greece, and I'm going to be walking in Thessalonica and Berea and, and Corinth and Athens and, and Philippi. So I wanted to kind of get a feel before I went over there. Uh, you know, what I was finding was so interesting, I thought I would share it with you ranters. So here we are. We're on the last of the eight-part series. We'll be looking at First Thessalonians chapter 5. Go through that pretty quickly, and then I'll actually uh, do my expanded, adapted translation, read it all the way through with, without all the nasty verses, uh, verse numbers in there. We're just going to read the letter all the way through. Okay, won't that be fun? All right, before we get going, I want to thank lifeaudio.com for their support in this, this podcast. And uh, we're going to take a, a moment to speak to sponsors. We'll be back in, in a little bit. Hi, everyone. If you've been injured in an accident that was not your fault, listen up. We have legal professionals standing by to answer your questions for free. Call now and find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Call 800-497-4410. I'm here with spokesman John Wolfe. So, John, tell everyone listening who should call right now. Well, Maria, first off, thank you for having me here. It's always nice to answer the listeners' questions. Now, as far as who should call in, anyone who's been injured in an accident and think you deserve compensation, give us a call right now. 800-497-4410. You'll find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Thanks, John. You heard it, folks. Take advantage of this opportunity and call now. 800-497-4410. Advertisement sponsored by Legal Help Center may not be available in all states. Hey, welcome back. All right, let's get right into it. 1 Thessalonians 5.1. This is the NIV. I'll read the first eight verses. Now, brothers, about times and dates, we do not need to write to you, for you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying peace and safety, destruction will come on them suddenly as labor pains on a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. But you, brothers, and by the way, sisters, are not in darkness, so that this day should surprise you like a thief. You are all children of the light and children of the day. We do not belong to the night or to the darkness. So then, let us not be like others who are asleep, but let us be alert and self-controlled. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk, get drunk at night. 
But since we belong to the day, let us be self-controlled, putting on faith and love as a breastplate and the hope of salvation as a helmet. By the way, in verse 8, faith, hope, and love again. This is the second time he hits hits it in this letter. It won't be the last time he hits it in his epistles. Um, Initially, in, in the early part of 1 Thessalonians, it was proof that the Spirit of God was doing something new and miraculous. He looked at these people's faith, hope, and love and said, that's got to be from God. But now he's, he's uh, tying a, a bow on, on the ribbon. There is a participative role in faith, hope, and love for Christians. We don't just sit around and wait until God makes us do something, you know, makes us feel love for the unlovable, makes us feel love for ourselves. God's making, his work, motivates us to want to do more righteousness. Remember, we define righteousness as doing kindness and love for other people. It's other-oriented. But it also motivates us to depend upon him more. So God's making actually makes us want to depend upon God more, to want to ask him more, to really functionally pray more, not because we're doing it to get God's pleasure, but because we already have God's favor. So we are called and motivated to be in sync with his will and his spirit. And so we ask for power. That's how we do it. We've been talking about it. Uh, to feel and to do love, particularly for others. So the metaphor that Paul uses here and later, in the, particularly in Ephesians, is an armor. So I imagine Paul is walking through Corinth, the streets of Corinth, and he's seeing Roman troops walk around, arresting drunks and thieves and stopping fights and those kind of things. And so he looks at that and goes, oh my goodness, this is this is juicy metaphor. And uh, he, he, he starts farming it. He starts working with it. He repeats it in a lot of detail in Ephesians 6. So but he's probably looking at it in Corinth going, that's pretty good. I mean, I, I did that as a pastor. You're, you're watching stuff on TV or, or on a hike and you see something, you know, oh, that perfectly communicates what I want to communicate. So he's being, he's being a good communicator here. We're always, we pastors and teachers are always looking for better ways to communicate big truths. So look, the soldier, I mean, I get it. Um, uh, he must put on, he or she must put on armor. They must keep it on. They must use it, depend upon it, particularly when on the streets or on the battle and the front line. And sure, you begin to take it for granted until you need it. Uh, and, you know, the, and their commander is going to keep telling them to put it on. Don't go out without it. You, this will save your life. This will um, make you a better soldier, that kind of thing. And so Paul is listening to that going, yeah, that's a, that's a good metaphor. So we're to keep putting on faith, hope, and love. Well, how? Well, simply put, asking by asking the Spirit, which anybody can do. Anybody can do this. Just ask the Spirit to make it so. Ephesians 3, 14 and 21, we've talked about. Um, is, so uh, hope of salvation. Is Paul saying, this is interesting, there's a lot of debate on this and theologians uh, getting all worried up about this. Is Paul saying, right, the hope of salvation seems to imply you're not saved yet. You're hoping for it. So is Paul saying that we're not saved yet, that, that that's it? We can only hope for it. We can keep working at it? No, I I don't think so. I can see where people go with that. But I'm suggesting that, and this fits so much better with a lot of the rest of Scripture, is he's speaking of a present experience of our permanent salvation, which Jesus purchased for us 2,000 years ago. It's our present experience of that. 
uh, it was purchased once for all time by Jesus. Look at Ephesians 2, 1 to 10. It's ours. So it, it makes sense that we long for that experience. We want it more. We wish it for other people, recognizing that we're not fully experiencing it fully yet. Uh, our brains work against us. I've talked a lot about that. So we're hoping for the time when we will experience it, not just in drips and drabs, but fully. Okay? Verse 9. For God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. All right, this is another one where theologians, uh, you know, get their uh, get, get things all tied up in a bunch. Appoint, the word is tothemi, and context determines what Paul is trying to say with tothemi, because it can refer to um, predestination, that God ordains it, that God foreknowledges it, foreknows it. Um, it could be that. I think that's a theological stress here, stretch here, but many people go that direction. It could also be used as a common word in the New Testament and common Greek to put something into place or to consign someone to something. So uh, I prefer this, that God does not consign us to wrath, orge in the Greek. Rather, he consigns us to the parapoesis, to the receiving, the experience of salvation, safety, or security, or saving. So I'm going to go out on a dangerous limb here. Ah, not too dangerous. And stay with Paul's metaphor of soldiers in the, in the previous verse. So tothemi can refer to being put into custody, you know, like arrested, Acts 5.18, Acts 5.25, Matthew 14.3. So let me try this. Here we go. Um, so in, here, here, this is my translation. I'm going to go with it. Pushback, bill at gospel-app.com. God does not put you into the harsh custody of wrath, rather the welcoming confines of saving security. Again, God does not put you in the harsh custody of wrath, rather the welcoming confines of saving security. Remember, Paul, it hadn't been that long since he was he and Silas were in jail in Philippi, and it was harsh. I mean, they were hurting. They were in stocks of some kind. Harsh custody where they felt, you know, the wrath of the world, but rather in the welcoming, embracing confines of saving security. So God's God's direction is security and salvation. And so the difference, um, and remember, by the way, so uh, to be clear, it was both a harsh custody of wrath for Paul and Silas and Philippi, and it became a welcoming confine of saving security at the same time. The difference was the spirit, the joy in the midst of suffering. So again, Paul is saying, ask for power from God through the spirit in your inner being to know his love, his having your back, his caring presence, his empathy, his ultimate care and security. And if we don't have that miracle, suffering is going to come anyway, and persecution is going to come anyway, and you're going to become discouraged and angry and ashamed, and you're going to feel abandoned, alone. You're going to get uh, enraged at God, perhaps. Either way, the groaning creation is going to beat us up. It's just a question of whether we do it on our own or with power that comes from God. All right, so... Yeah, so the common question for people, the Thessalonians, the Bereans, the the Philippians, who are getting beat up, is, where's God? 
you know, I'm, I'm, I committed my family to his path, to Jesus's path. So is he ordaining that, that my calling be pain of shame and loss and failure? Or is he update, uh, ordaining that I obtain an experience of joy and salvation and security? And, and, and I think it's the latter. Um, but we have to participate. We are called to participate when we are being motivated to participate in that by asking. And one of the signs, remember, of conversion for Luke and Paul in particular is joy in the midst of persecution. Um, you know, I don't like that plan, but it seems like that's the one we have. You can push back Bill at gospel-app.com. Verse 10, he died, Jesus, for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, alive or dead, we may live together with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up just as in fact you are doing. Okay. All right. We're going to take a break here and uh, pick up a few more sponsors and then finish the letter of 1 Thessalonians. See you in a few minutes. Well, I said minutes, but I meant moments. Uh, Welcome back. Verse 12. Now we ask you, brothers, to respect those who work hard among you, who are over you in the Lord, and who admonish you. Look, this particular verse and what we're going to unpack, how we're going to unpack it, is worth the time and effort you're putting into this podcast. I think, um, you know, in the Greek, respect to recognize, take interest, uh, to acknowledge—that's the word for respect. Um, Kopiao is to strive, those who work hard, who, who work for you. Proistemi is those who are over you. And here's where we're going to go with this. What I'm going to suggest, and if you if you listen to our first podcast and talked about the honor-shame culture and the benefactor-client culture of Rome, I think this will make sense to you. I think this is, Paul is speaking to the church about patron benefactors who have taken them on this movement, Paul and Silas and Timothy and the churches in their local communities on as clients. This is what you would have expected in Rome, in the Roman culture, even in in Greece. Um, And as we pointed out, uh, the letters to the Corinthians, uh, 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, suggest that figures of relatively greater wealth and status have indeed become patrons and protectors of the church community, of, of the way. Uh, look at Romans 16.1, where there is a feminine cognate noun, prostatus, which means patron, and it describes Phoebe. Uh, Phoebe is the patron, patroness, if you will, of the church and of Paul himself. So it, it really does imply that Paul has become and acknowledges it, because this is what you would do, is you would respond in gratefulness and public acclamation. He is a in a client relationship to Phoebe. This is just what people did in that culture, not so much here in the United States, but a little. So likely, uh, arguably, Paul is calling on the community, the church, to recognize certain gracious benefactors who are striving for them, who are protecting them, who are giving them honor, who are giving them reputation and name and protection and security. They're giving financially, likely, and... um, and in this system, the response is to be is to honor the benefactor, to thank the benefactor publicly. It's not improper, it's biblical, it's it's just cultural, right? It, and um, I mean, if you think about it, so much of of uh, the worship psalms are about acknowledging our greater benefactor, God in heaven. We give Him glory. 
again, honor, shame language. And, and that's what is being picked up here. So remember the parable of the, the king and the wicked servant where the, where the wicked servant has this huge, gigantic debt. And, and in the presence of the king, the king wipes the books clean, restores face and name and honor. But the wicked servant leaves and is the, the huge thing that's missing is the servant's not thankful. And, it, and when he goes forward and beats up the other servant, he shames his king and, and soils the king's reputation by how he treats others. He's not uh, paying forward like the king does, right? So Paul would say to that wicked servant, um, show deference and respect for those who are striven for your well-being and security. Those who are your benefactors in the Lord, listen to them. They have your well-being in mind. So the ways, the churches, Christians, Jesus followers, benefactors, both male and female, we've pointed that out, particularly as we went through Acts, would have striven to guard and protect the movement financially, politically, legally, ethically. So humanly speaking, this is how the culture works. This was their role. And, and here's, here's Paul in, in the letter to the Corinthians, right? This is the same community where he is writing this letter to the, first, to the Thessalonians. This is 1 Corinthians 16, 15. You know, sounds like Paul, right? You already know, brothers. You know that the household of Stephanus were the first converts in Achaia. And they have devoted themselves to the service of the saints. This is all honor, shame language, benefactor, client language. So I urge you, brothers, again, so, so Pauline, to submit to such as these and to everyone who joins in the work and labors at it. I was glad when Stephanus, Fortunatus, and Achaeus arrived because they have supplied what was lacking from you. For they refreshed my spirit and yours also. Such men deserve recognition. Again, this is not outlandish. This is that culture. Uh, Paul is a cross-cultural missionary. Commentator Wanamaker points out that the uh, you acknowledge such people in 1 Thessalonians is parallel to the be subject to such people in, in this passage from 1 Corinthians. So it's, it's, it's parallel. This would have been well understood. They would have been expected. If you didn't do this, there would have been offense. There would have been just confusion this is not about the, the wealthy trying to curry favor from the non-wealthy. This is different. This is the culture. Let me give you an example. When I was in college, I was uh, a leader in, in a fraternity, president of the fraternity. We had such a benefactor who wasn't officially in any role. He was behind the scenes. He was a retired judge with some, some influence in the community. And, and like I said, you never saw him. He was always there. You call him, he picks up his phone. And, you know, without telling any secrets, he was always bailing us out and at pretty high level. And we needed it fairly often. He kept some of us from being arrested in, in one situation, including yours truly. And all it took was a phone call and didn't hear anything back from him except the situation changed. Uh, legally, I mean, ethically, but he he intervened. He did it graciously, behind the scenes. Uh, he protected we idiots. <laughs> and uh, all all we were to do was to give him thanks and honor and respects. But he didn't ask for it. It was just, it's just what you did. It just seemed natural, right? And by the way, I, I'm doing that again now for him without naming him. Um, so in a bigger sense, this it's our religion. Jesus is our ultimate benefactor who died 
so that I would get honor from God. I don't have pockets deep enough to pay him back for that. Nowhere near, right? So in that honor-shame culture, he has covered my shame with his honor, and, and now I have become honorable. I have become lovable. And my role, my duty, and, you know, humanly speaking, my motivation is to respect, to honor, to proclaim what he has done, to lift up his name, to be grateful, and to follow him. Simple, right? And that's what Paul is suggesting with the benefactors in, in Thessalonica. Verse 13, hold them in the highest regard and love because of their work. Live in peace with each other. This is exactly what you do. Um, they're not God, they're not Jesus, they're not the Spirit. They may not even be elders or deacons necessarily. They had a very important role, cultural role, societal role in Greece and Rome. It's okay to tell the world about them and to be grateful uh, openly about them. But also, I have to tell you, sometimes the benefactors can be a little bit demanding and impatient and narrow-minded and stubborn and maybe a little bossy, if you know what I mean. So Paul says, work really hard to be at peace with them and uh, for them to be at peace with you. Verse 14. Actually, I'm going to read a whole chunk here. And we urge you, brothers, warn those who are idle, meaning lazy and exploitive, encourage the timid, help the weak, be patient with everyone, make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong, but always try to be kind to each other and everyone else, be joyful always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Do not put out the Spirit's fire. Do not treat prophecies with contempt. Luke and Paul just continually highlight the present and ongoing work of the Spirit, the active person of the Trinity, right? God is in heaven. Jesus is in heaven. The Holy Spirit is their active, the active person. And they just seem to imply that. They just seem to assume that. Um, a lot of commentaries go, you know, the Spirit's fire would be tongues and healings and prophecies and such. And, and I'm sure it includes that. But what Luke and Paul highlight is the day-to-day Holy Spirit, where do you want me to go? Holy Spirit, I don't feel love today. Holy Spirit, I don't feel love for the person, the persecutors. I don't feel love for, and the Holy Spirit's faith, love, hope, joy, all, all the fruit of the Spirit just come into, come into play. 21, test everything, hold on to the good, avoid every evil. May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful, and he will do it. Love that. So look, God's faithful. Chill, relax, Keep on keeping on because the one who has called you and motivates you and gives you a new heart, gives you his spirit, he's faithful and he will do it. Verse 25, brothers and sisters, pray for us. Greet all the brothers and sisters with a holy kiss. I charge you before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. All right. Now, I've been looking forward to this. We're going to read the entire letter including the, the last chapter, uh, with, without all of those, you know, I'm going to say it tongue-in-cheek, all of those nasty verse and numbers, okay? It's a letter. It didn't have those in it originally, right? You know that. So here we go. Here's my adaptive, expanded, um, holded, where I'm holding it loosely, translation of First Thessalonians. So just sit back, let it wash over you, okay? Paul, Silas, and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians, and God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace and peace to you. 
as Silas, Timothy, and I pray regularly in the very presence of God, we're constantly thankful and amazed at how the faith, love, and hope was birthed in you by our Lord Jesus Christ. The miraculous faith and heavenly love bestowed upon you has clearly produced in you a new desire to do good works for others, even though you're being persecuted. There is a new endurance that is inexplicable by human means. It has the fingerprints of heavenly hope all over it. Everyone can see that our gospel came to you not just in mere words, but also with transforming power and with the Holy Spirit, leaving no doubt that something miraculous has happened in Thessalonica. God has clearly touched you. You are now the beloved of God. He is your benefactor, and you are his fortunate client. Everything has changed. You know how we lived among you, for you. As a result, you became imitators of us, having received the word, even in the midst of great persecution from others. But still, you manifested Holy Spirit joy. And so, you became an example of what adoption to this benefactor looks like for all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. It's true. The word of the Lord has sounded forth, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but everywhere. Your faith in God has gone forth all over the place. So what else can we say? I'll tell you what everyone else is saying. First, they say how well you laid out the welcome mat for us. And secondly, they testify how you turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to live waiting for his son whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who rescues us from the coming wrath. For you know, brothers, our coming to you was not without success. On the contrary, having suffered and been shamed beforehand in Philippi, as you know, we had courage and boldness in our God to speak the good news of God to you, even in the face of new great opposition. For our exhortation didn't come from deceit or impure motives or any underhanded methods. Rather, we have been examined and were determined to be genuine by God himself, entrusted with the good news, and so that's what we proclaim. We didn't flatter you. Rather, we spoke to you for God, the one who continues to examine our hearts. So, we didn't go out with flattering words. You know this to be true, nor with false or greedy motives. God's our witness. We were not seeking any preferential treatment from you, neither from you or others. Though as apostles of Christ, just saying, we could have been demanding of you, but instead we were like children among you, like, like a mother taking care of her child. So having such a strong maternal yearning for you, we were so pleased to share with you the good news of God. But we have another motive. You are so, so dear to us. You remember, children, brothers and sisters, our labor and hardship working night and day so that we wouldn't be a burden to anyone. We just proclaimed the good news of God. And you're our witness, God as well, how devoutly and justly and blamelessly we really tried to be to you new believers, for you know how a father, yeah, a father deals with each of his children, exhorting them and cheering them up and urging them on as a matter of great import to walk in a, a manner worthy of God, who calls you into his kingdom and glory. And we give thanks ceaselessly to God for this, that you received the spoken word of God from us, accepting it not as the word of men, but as it truly is, the word of God, 
which has become a dynamic within you believers. Again, you became imitators, brothers and sisters, of the assemblies of God in Christ Jesus in Judea. You suffered the same thing from your own countrymen that we did from the Jews who killed the Lord Jesus and the prophets. They drove us out, displeasing God, opposing the people, hindering us from speaking to the Gentiles so that they might be saved, completing their own rap sheet of sin. You know what? God does not overlook that. Wrath is going to come on their actions at the end, either from Jesus or from themselves. Brothers, we were separated from you for a short while, you know, just in person, not in heart, and that motivated us even more so. And we did our very best, great longing to see you face to face because we wanted to come to you, and me particularly, again and again, but Satan hindered me. So what is our hope or joy or crown of pride before our Lord Jesus at his coming? It's you. You are our glory and joy. Though I couldn't stand it, we didn't really have a choice. I was left behind in Athens, alone. So we sent Timothy, who is our brother and God's agent in spreading the gospel of Christ to Thessalonica, to strengthen you and encourage you in your faith. I was worried that you would be traumatized, emotionally shaken by all these persecutions. You know, it's not really good news, but you know they're part of our calling, right? In fact, when I was with you, I forewarned you that you would be persecuted just like us, and it turned out that way, as you well know. And for this reason, when I could stand it no longer, I sent to find out about your faith, worried that the tempter himself had tempted you and all of our effort would have fallen apart like a house of cards. But then, finally, Timothy came to us and told us stunning news about your remarkable, lasting faith and love, that, and that you think of us, think of me affectionately, and you have a great desire to see me, just as I want to see you. So therefore, brothers, you won't believe how much that report of you has encouraged me. Your faith, how you are still standing firm in the Lord, has brought me back to life. I am now able to face the ongoing calamity and persecution again. I don't know how I can thank God enough for you. I can't rejoice with enough joy before him. And one thing I do know is that I'm praying night and day to get back to you so that I can complete your training. There's so much more. Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus direct our way to you soon. Lord, make their love increase and overflow for each other and for everyone else, just as ours does for them. Strengthen their other-oriented motivations more than humanly possible. May they be blameless and holy before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all of his holy ones. Amen. Finally, brothers, we ask and urge you in Christ Jesus, just as you have received from us, how it is necessary to behave and to please God just as you are already beginning to behave. Don't stop. Just keep leaning into the Spirit. For you know the instructions we gave to you through the Lord Jesus. And this is the will of God, your sanctification. Separate yourself from sexual immorality. You know, each of you should gain mastery over the desires associated with your genital organs in a way that's sanctifying and honorable, not driven by lustful passions like unbelievers who do not know God. In this matter, 
one should not go beyond proper limits of behavior or exploit his brother or sister because the Lord is going to bring justice for all of these matters, as we have already told you and bore witness to. For God did not call us to be in a state of moral corruption, rather to be sanctified. Therefore, he who rejects this instruction does not reject man, but God, who is giving you his Holy Spirit. That's the key. Now, concerning sisterly and brotherly love, you have no need for us to write to you, for it seems you yourself are clearly being taught by God already to love one another. And you do, but we urge you, brothers, to do even more and to make even a greater concerted effort to live peaceably, to, you know, mind your own business, uh, keep busy, work with your hands, work in your jobs, just as we instructed you. Live becomingly towards outsiders so that you're not dependent upon others. We don't want you to be ignorant, brothers, concerning those who are already passed away or or that you would be distressed like the rest of humanity who just does, do not have hope in that area. For if we believe that Jesus died and was raised, we that, then we also believe that God will bring those who have passed away in Christ, he will bring them with him. For this we tell you by the Lord's word, we who are still alive, we who remain until the coming of the Lord, we shall certainly not have an advantage over those who have passed away. The Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command and a voice of an archangel and the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ are going to rise first. And then we who are still alive, you know, the, the ones who are still left, together with the deceased will be caught up on clouds to meet the Lord officially in the air, and thus we will always be with him. So encourage one another with these words. Now, concerning the other issue brought up by Timothy, the specific day and hour that Jesus is coming. Brothers, we really don't need to write any more to you, do we? For you already know quite well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. And when others are foolishly saying peace and security, sudden destruction is going to overtake them like, you know, labor pains in a pregnant woman, and they will definitely not escape. But you brothers are not in darkness that the day should catch you by surprise like a thief, for you are children of the light and of the day, not of the night or darkness. Therefore, let us not be like the others who are already dead. Rather, let us be on alert and have sober reasonableness. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But since we are of the day, let us be self-controlled, having put on the breastplate of faith and love and the helmet of hope of salvation. Carrying the, on the metaphor a bit further, God does not put you into the harsh custody of wrath, rather the welcoming confines of saving security. He died for us so that whether we are alive or dead, we may live together with him. So encourage one another, build each other up, which is exactly what you, you are doing already. As you would naturally do, make sure that you treat your gracious benefactors with due honor. Be publicly thankful. Don't take them for granted. They strive very hard for you, though sometimes, though sometimes they will need to be stern with you. Just listen, be patient. Heed their advice, even when it is harsh. Don't neglect the relationship. And at times, 
There will need to be healing. Work hard at it. You need them in the Lord, and they need you. So we urge you, brothers, to admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, and be patient with all. See that no one returns evil for evil. Instead, pursue what is good towards one another and towards everyone. Be joyful always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Don't stifle the Spirit. And don't despise prophecies. Test everything. Hold to the good. Abstain from every kind of evil. May the God of peace himself sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless for the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one calling you is faithful, and he will make sure that all of this happens just as he said it would. Brothers, pray for us. Greet all the brothers with a holy kiss and sisters. I charge you before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers and sisters. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Amen. Well, I'm hoping you're seeing some of the same things I'm seeing. The the, uh, intimacy of Paul's writing, the uh, how he's speaking off the cuff. He's it's almost like a a teenager in love. I mean, it's awkward. He's sharing his struggles with with his own faith and his own awareness of the plan of God. He's feeling sometimes like a failure, that critical inner voice is cooking in his head. And and obviously he's so excited with the report he got back from Timothy. I just think it's a beautiful, beautiful letter. We learn so much about the areas of Greece that I'll be traveling to. So there we are. I think, I hope we were successful getting into his head. Uh, by the way, Luke's head as well. I feel a little more prepared as I go to Greece um, kind of what to look for. So listen, for all of you who were part of this eight-part podcast, thanks for listening. And listen, help us get the word out about the gospel rant. Our plan is to go back to the remainder of the Sermon on the Mount. We've got about, you know, just a quarter left. Uh, but I also want to pick up the Christmas story beginning in late November. There'll probably be some overlap there as well, God willing. Check out our website, gospel-app.com, including the new and free online course for frustrated parents of teens and tweens called Good Enough Parent. Again, totally free to tell parents that, that you know of. Look, I'm, I'm telling you, I'm betting they're feeling isolated. They're feeling like uh, in some ways they're failing. They're, they're worried that they've failed. Uh, get the word to them. It's our gift. We think we're in a family crisis in the United States in particular, and we want to help out. Our goal is to have 10,000 parents go through it. It's goodenoughparent.online, www.goodenoughparent, one word, goodenoughparent.online. Check it out, okay? We'll see you on, on the next podcast. Until then, take heart, child of God. Have you ever attempted to read the entire Bible? Did you do it, or did you only make it part way? I'm John Stonge, and I host a podcast that will make it possible for you to make it through the entire Bible, one chapter at a time. I've been hosting the Chapter a Day Audio Bible Podcast since 2015, and every single day of the week, I read one chapter of Scripture, then follow that up with a time of prayer. And if you're looking for daily insights and inspiration directly from God's Word, I hope you'll give the Chapter a Day Audio Bible a listen. You can find it at lifeaudio.com or on your favorite podcasting app.